listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Hope you had a Merry Christmas. Yes? It's cold. Almost had a white Christmas. <laughs> Felt like it. <laughs> um, I know I did. I had a, uh, a Merry Christmas. My mom actually came to visit um, unexpectedly. She lives in Ohio. And so they called and said, we're going to be there for Christmas. So she spent some time with us. She went back yesterday. Um, but it's, you know, it's, those are the, the things at Christmas, the time with family, um, the time with friends. Uh, the time to sit back and be able to reflect on what's truly important in life, right? I often, um, my wife, I've, in years past, I've been a, much of a bah humbug with Christmas, honestly. I, Christmas um, always seems so um, commercialized um, with, with the gifts and the packages and just, you know, the stores by Halloween. Christmas is everywhere and and, uh, but this year, I'll tell you, I couldn't wait for Christmas. Uh, right after Thanksgiving, or actually right after Halloween, before Thanksgiving, we started decorating the house, right? We, we put the, the lights up outside. This is the first time in 20 years that Ange has been like, he's buying stuff for Christmas. He's putting it out there, you know? Um, and, and I couldn't wait. I was excited for Christmas this year. And I don't know if it's because of the year that we've had. And we just need some joy. We just need some hope. We just need some, some bright twinkling lights to make us feel good about everything that's going on. And if you got to be at home so much, it might as well look good and be a reminder of the good things uh, that's, that's in this world and not just all the bad stuff, right? So I couldn't wait for Christmas this year. Um, and now it's, it's come and it's gone, so I imagine that next Saturday um, I'll probably be taking all those Christmas decorations down, right? Is that my plan for next Saturday? Yes, it is. So, um, but I hope you've had a, a very Merry Christmas. And um, so Pastor Kevin left um, some, uh, some scripture for me. He texted me and said, hey, are we still good for, uh, for next week? And I said, yes, y'all go have a great time, relax, enjoy your time with your family. And he said, well, I left Luke chapter 2 for you. Wow, that's a lot to bite off. So if you've got, if there's any problem with how long I take this morning, you've got to take it up with Pastor Kevin. He's the one that told me Luke chapter 2, okay? No, no, I, I will not, um, God's willing, <laughs> I will not take um, all that long, but we will try to get through uh, the second chapter of Luke today. Um, so we are going to uh, turn to the uh, chapter uh, 2 of the book of Luke. I don't have it on the, um, on the boards this morning. Uh, so if you have your Bibles or if you want to go to uh, Version and pull it up there, um, we're going to spend some time in Luke chapter 2. Um, so before we do, let's have a moment of prayer and we'll just add, ask for God's blessings on um, the reading of his word this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you for, um, for our church, for our church families, for our, for our families. Lord, in the time that we can come together and draw encouragement from one another uh, to Learn more about you and your word. And God, I pray this morning as, as I attempt to stand um, to, to speak uh, through this chapter, I just pray that I will be uh, out of the way of your message. 
Lord, that I won't um, say anything that is um, contrary to your word, but God, that anything that would uplift us and, and build us up. God, I pray, Lord, I, I stand here um, as, um, as just a, a person who's willing to, to uh, take a look at this word together this morning. And so I pray that um, as, as I feel unworthy, God, that you would um, bless the reading of your word. God, that you'll bless our minds, our ears to hear, our minds to understand, and our hearts to receive um, your word this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So in, in our family, uh, we've, um, there, there are a number of traditions uh, that, that you have at Christmas time. Um, and I'm sure most of you have things that you come to expect with holidays. Holiday traditions are like, um, what do you have for Thanksgiving to eat? Everybody has turkey, right? Everybody has turkey. Anybody has sweet potato casserole every year? Yes. Yeah, we do some green bean casserole. We got to have some of that um, dressing with, uh, with the uh, gri- giblet gravy. It's not actually giblet, it's just chicken in there. Um, and, and so you got, you got to have some pecan pie. Uh, some people like pumpkin pie or sweet potato pie. That's, that's Thanksgiving, right? And then... What, yeah, when you get to Christmas, um, a lot of people have ham or um, turkey. <laughs> um, prime rib is popular at this time of year. Um, there's, and, and, you know, all the fixings. You know, you have all of those things. And with, with our kids, um, for years, um, we like to, Christmas Eve, we'd sit down, and I like to read the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2. And it's important uh, that, that we understand the true meaning of Christmas. Yeah, presents are fun, the, light, the twinkling lights, all those things are, are a good time to show how much we love and appreciate each other. But it's important that we understand what Christmas is really, really all about. So I'm going to read um, parts of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 kind of gives us our only true glimpse into Jesus and his childhood and what that might have looked like. Um, and there's not a whole lot there. You'll, you'll see that once we get past the first 40 days, there's a big chunk where the next thing you know, he's 12 years old. And we don't know what happened in between. Um, I can use my imagination and think about all the things that happened in between. I, I mean, I think what would it be like to be, because we know Jesus had siblings, what would it have been like to grow up with Jesus as your brother? Right? I mean, if Jesus is your brother, did Mary ever say, why can't you be more like Jesus? <laughs> well, he's Jesus, Mom. You know, what, 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 would, what would you say to that? Um, I, I heard Mark Lowry say the other day, I was watching a video, and he said, did, did Jesus ever look at it, or did Mary ever look at him and say, what, did you shut the door? What were you, born in a barn? Well, yeah, he was born in a barn. <laughs> You know, um, what did, you know, so what were the things that, that Jesus experienced? He was, he was human, but he was God. As a teenager, I thought I had it all figured out, right? There's an age as you're growing up as a teenager where you learn more and more and more and more. And before you know it, you realize I'm asking mom and dad questions and they're saying, I don't know. I must be smarter than mom and dad at this point. I've already got it all figured out. Well, imagine Jesus is your child. And he does have it all figured out. Um, and so how do you, 
how do you raise a child that is honestly growing in wisdom, stature every day, honestly, beyond your ability to reason and believe and to parent? Someone who is truly the second part of the Godhead. Wow. What a responsibility. I want to I talk us through some of these things that we see some clues in Luke chapter 2 that will kind of put, let's shine a, a light of reality on the Christmas story, okay? Because with tradition, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of things we've come to believe about Christmas and about the Christmas story, the nativity, that we, we just see this whole, this, this play, you know, the children's play where the, Shepherds come and the wise men come up and you got all this stuff. And we, we see this, we have this, this imaginary tale in our minds that's probably really a contrast to what actually took place, what it was actually like that day. So let's look, uh, Luke chapter 2. Um, it says, In those days the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So, so this first section, um, it gives us some context and idea of the time frame that we're looking at. Rome is in, is in charge of things, and um, that's very likely, and we could talk about timing of, was it actually December 25th, or was it some other time? There's, there's, there's all kinds of clues in Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2 to give, that we could pinpoint down a good idea of when this was. Um, but we're not, we're not gonna, we're not gonna get in a pigeonhole of what was the actual date because the actual date doesn't really matter. It's that it was actually Jesus. That's what matters. And, and so they were coming here, everything lined up for them to go back to, to Bethlehem, which was because David's family, his lineage, they were going back there for a census to be counted because the Roman government wanted to make sure they had an accurate count of everybody that's in their provinces so that they could get their money. They had to be taxed. So uh, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. So this was about a 70-mile trek through the desert, <laughs> Um, so it, they, would, they would travel about 20 miles a day when they were on one of these kind of treks. So 70 miles was about a two-and-a-half-day journey. Now, what is 70 miles um, now? Maybe from the other side of Orlando to Tampa, right? So we get I-4. Our, our concept of distance and time is much different than what it was in, in those times because it was, it was a hard journey, and they would likely travel with groups of other people because of the danger, because of thieves and, and robbers and murderers that, that they could encounter along the way. They would often travel together. We get this image in our mind that, oh, it was just Mary and Joseph and a donkey, and they walked from here to there, and uh, they got there. And, and what happened? The innkeeper said there's no room for them in the inn, right? And so that's what we think, but... but I, I, when I read this story, I see nothing about an innkeeper. I, that's a, that is a, something that we've kind of added to the story through the years to help it make sense to us. Um, he it says that they, they traveled 
to Bethlehem. And while they were there, it was time for her to give birth. And it says, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So I, I looked at this word in, and the word in is the same word that was used over the Passover when Jesus was having the Last Supper with the disciples. The exact same word that there was translated as upper room. So the in is the same word here that is there, and it means upper room here, and here it was entered as in. And, and basically what this is is a, is a, is a place uh, for, for lodging, a, a guest room. Some translations um, refer to that as the guest room. So when you, when you start understanding and, and digging a little deeper, you'll see that the, the common house in Bethlehem in those days, you would have multiple levels. You'd have the downstairs, and then you would have an upstairs. The downstairs is where the stables were, the animals were, because they wanted to keep the animals as one of their most prized possessions close to the home. It wasn't like out in a field somewhere. It was close to their home. And so they would have stables downstairs and a manger, the, the feeding trough for the animals, a courtyard. And then you would go upstairs to where the living area was and the rooms for sleeping and those kind of things. And so everybody's coming in for this census. And it's very likely that Joseph was encountering, was going to st- spend time with family, extended family there in Bethlehem. Um, we're talking Bethlehem in, in, you know, A and B.C. times. So over 2,000 years ago, this wasn't a thriving metropolis. This is like hundreds of people, not thousands of people. Um, so there's, there's no Motel 6. <laughs> they didn't leave the light on for them. Um, there, there's no Holiday Inn, Holiday Express. There's no Marriott's there. Um, I, I think about this. Um, so, so Bethlehem was about six miles outside of Jerusalem. Okay? So think about Winter Haven and going to Waverly. You know where Waverly is? Um, so you go down Cypress Gardens Boulevard, you hit 27, keep going straight, go to a little town, and there's a little place out there called Waverly. Um, there's no Hampton Inn in Waverly. There's no Holiday Inn. There's, no, there's none of those things there. So it wasn't likely that there was what's called a public house, a place where travelers could stop and stay in Bethlehem at those times. In fact, in Luke, there's another word that was used to describe that kind of a situation. So I just want to paint the picture that more than likely, Mary and Joseph were surrounded by by family and staying at a home of at least extended family of Joseph. It's just that when they got there, all of the rooms were taken. Could have got there late at night and, and everybody was already asleep in their beds. But while they were there, all of that, honestly, all of that doesn't matter. I mean, it kind of rocks our world with the nativity. You know, there were, there were cows and there were, there were donkeys. Well, we know there's a donkey, probably. And there were camels. Listen, camels need Jesus. They do. Last week, we were in Texas. We went to visit our, our daughter in Texas. And uh, outside of Colleen, Texas, Fort Hood... There's a drive-through safari. Um, they have zebras. They got, we called them reindeer. They look like reindeer. Um, and, and they had that elk, they had, they had bison, and they had two camels. Well, what you do is you drive through, 
you buy some feed, these little brown bags of feed for the animals. And so we bought a few bags, and we start driving through. And as soon as we get through the gate, we come through, we stop, and they tell you, you either roll your window all the way up or roll it all the way down. Don't put it halfway. All the way up or all the way down. So we're like, all right, all the way down it is. The zebras come up first. Like, oh, this is awesome. Feeding the zebras. Well, two camels start making their way. You know? And uh, my daughter, she says, oh, that camel's going to put his head in here. And about the time she says that, this camel, he's 50 foot tall. I don't know how tall this thing is. This thing's huge. And he comes down. His head is literally, and I know this because he stuck his head in the window between me and the driver and the, and the steering wheel because I had a bag of food right here. And I'm thinking, oh, he's going to stick his head in there and try to eat the food. No, he stole the whole bag. He needs Jesus, y'all. <laughs> I paid a dollar for that. And uh, so, so if it can't, there was probably camels, probably camels there, you know. But it probably didn't look kind of like what we were thinking, you know, with the with a lean-to barn out in the back and a, and a makeshift manger. And, you know, then the wise men come. Actually, the wise men probably, it's probably two years later that they actually uh, found him. Uh, we know that because in Matthew, the decree to kill all the, the, the children under the age of two. So they, there was a time frame there from the birth to when the wise men found it. It was probably actually a couple years later. I'm not telling you all this to kind of just blow up your idea of the Christmas story. Um, no, it is magical, but it's not a fairy tale. Because Jesus was born in real life. And Luke and the, the other gospel writers didn't try to glamorize it. They didn't try to make it seem like something it wasn't. He was born in a dirty animal stable. There was no pack and play. So there was a manger, and that's what they could lay him in as a crib. Swaddling clothes, it was just common in those days to take these rags and, and wrap them tight around the baby. It helps them feel secure, but also the belief was it would help their limbs to grow stronger and, and straighter. So they would uh, wrap them in swaddling clothes, and he laid them in a manger. It wasn't glamorous. It was real life. She um, then went on to um, love and nurture this child. The story takes us a little further out into the outskirts of Bethlehem, where there's a couple of dudes taking care of the sheep. It's nighttime. Probably got a little fire, telling stories about how they fended off this coyote or this animal and how, you know, big man. It was probably about this tall, but in the story is this big, you know. I'm telling all these stories, and all of a sudden, it says this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly... 
There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is, well, who is pleased. Now, I grew up with King James Version, so that always said, Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace and goodwill towards men. The, the meaning's the same. That they were there to celebrate the time that had finally come. Now, our modern culture, our modern traditions tell us this. The greatest way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. That's right. And that's what they did on that very first Christmas. They sang loud for all to hear. Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Now, what would you do? If you were these shepherds and you're sitting there and all of a sudden the angel of the Lord and he says, you know, don't be afraid. I bring glad tidings of great joy because unto you this day, the city of David, a savior. His name is Jesus. He's, he's a savior. What would you do? Well, you would probably do what I would do. First, you would be like, what did we just see? Did you see what I see? Did you hear what I heard? Yes, 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 yes. Well, now what? Well, we got to go check that out, <laughs> right? So that's exactly what they did. They got up and said, um, when the angels went away from them to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing happen, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So they immediately got up. Let's go check this out. And they found exactly what the angels told them. And when they did, they started, it says they, they began to make known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. Now, they didn't just, what I'm reading from this, they didn't just say, hey, Mary and Joseph, check this out. We were out there. The angels came out. And, and he said, hey, don't be afraid. There's a child is born, a savior. And then angels Saying, glory to God. And so we're like, we had to go see if this is true, if we could find this. And sure enough, here's a baby lying in the feeding trough. This must be the baby. Now, I, I imagine a couple things here. First, I imagine what heaven must have been like on that cold, quiet no night in Bethlehem. The excitement that must have been taking place in the heavenly realm. As God turns to the angels and says, I need you to go deliver a message for me. Because Jesus has been born. The Messiah, the one that has been prophesied for thousands and thousands of years. It has now been set in motion for the salvation of the world. Where sin separated man, I am making a way so that they may come boldly to the throne. I've, I've, I've given them a system so that they could, um, they could provide sacrifices to have a right relationship with me. But now we're sending Jesus so that he can be the once and for all sacrifice for all people. Not just the Jewish people, but for all people, the Gentiles alike. So go tell them. And I can't imagine how excited that the angels must have been to go and tell 
this wonderful event that took place. And, and you kind of see that when you get there. Glory to God in the highest. On earth, peace and goodwill towards men. It is happened. And so the, the, the shepherds went to look to see if what they had heard was true. And they found that it was. And so they began to make it known. It wasn't a secret to them. They began to make it known. And the next verse tells us that all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. All that heard it, it was an opportunity to say, guess what happened to me? Does that sound familiar? I don't know what it was like for you when you first found Jesus. When you first found Jesus, do you remember what that was like when you started telling everybody, I got Jesus? And everybody starts wondering about what you just told them. See, it's not much different to their experience and your experience. And, I, and, I, and I'll say this. We're going to get into a couple more sections here where Mary and Joseph, we can see their humanity because they were just common people like us. They were, they were a devout Jewish family that were selected to, to parent Jesus as he was growing, but, um, but they were people just like us. Here it says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Hold on to that. Mary treasured all of these things, pondering them in my heart. And then it says, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So that is the, the end of this, this scene of Jesus' birth. Um, I'm sorry, guys, there's no little drummer boy. Pa-rum-pum-pum-pum, he needs to be saved. I don't like that song. Yeah. But uh, there was no little drummer boy. Um, uh, then it goes on to say, at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So this was a Jewish uh, custom. There's, there's nothing in the law that stated that they had to wait until the circumcision in order to name the child. It was just Jewish custom to do that. Uh, and so, um, but there was a rule that eight days, so for seven days, uh, she, Mary would have been declared unclean, uh, much like uh, her normal time of the month, unclean. And then on the eighth day, uh, they would take him to be circumcised. Um, and so they did that. They named him Jesus as, as the angels had instructed them to do. And so from that point, there's a, another, there's a gap of about 22 days because then it jumps to, and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pin, pigeons. So this takes place 40 days after the birth, they have to go and go through a purification ceremony and offer a, um, a, a sacrifice, um, one for their sin and another for, for this purification pr um, process. 
This, you'll find that in Leviticus 12 as it talks about, um, so if, if it was a male child, it's 40 days after. If it was a female child, it's 80 days after the birth that they go and they do this. And there's another thing here in Luke. It says that they were sacrificing a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. If you go back to Leviticus, you'll see that it says that they should offer a lamb unless they don't have the money for a lamb, then they should offer uh, two turtle doves, uh, a turtle dove and two young pigeons. So what that tells us is truly Jesus was born into a, a poor family. They didn't have riches. They didn't have means. It was just everyday hardworking people. And so they, according to the law, again, Mary and Joseph Making sure they're raising Jesus according to the law. Scripture says they're raised according to the law so that he can make them free from the law. He understood the laws that they were under. He also understood what it was like to live as a person, as a human. He wasn't born into wealth and privilege. He wasn't wasn't born as a royal in palaces The people that were told about the birth announcement, it wasn't to the king. The birth announcement was to the shepherds. It wasn't about influence. And it's still not about influence. It's not about what you have. It's about who you have. And so, as they were in the temple, so six miles outside of Bethlehem, they made the journey into Jerusalem, 40 days. They're going for the purification, and as they're there, they encounter two people. Now, you, you, we understand from Scripture, and this, I, I say this all the time, there's, there's three sides to every story. Right? We often say there's two sides, to every, there's three sides to every story. There's your side, their side, and somewhere in the middle you find the absolute truth. And that's why, you know, the scripture talks about that there needs, that the truth is established in two or three witnesses. So you need people that can, um, that can corroborate the story of, of the, the incident and the things that have taken place. So now Jesus um, is born. Mary, remember, she went and saw Elizabeth. Um, John leapt in the womb and, um, and, and they praised God together. Mary was afraid that she was going to be rejected by her family, but instead found embracing and praising and glorifying God. And now here we are, um, you know, nine months later, six months later, actually, or whatever. And now they're ready to, um, they've had this baby. They've gone to, they, the, the shepherds have, have come and said, hey, this is what God told us. Another witness to Mary and Joseph. Another witness. Uh, that, it wasn't just a bad bean burrito we ate. <laughs> um, I believe you. God told us this. God promised us this. And he gave them the witness there at the manger. And then they go to the temple in Jerusalem, and then they encounter these. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simon. I'm sorry, Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So, I mean, this is, again, this is an older person who has spent years looking for 
the Christ child, the Messiah. And it was promised to him that you won't die until you see this Christ. And it says he came in the spirit into the temple. In other words, the, um, the spirit of God led him to go into the temple that day. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now imagine that you're Mary and Joseph and you've just been walking for six miles and you get into the temple and this dude comes up and just grabs your baby and says, there he is. So your heart skips a little beat like, is this safe? (laughs) Is he okay? Seems a little little crazy maybe. Uh, But he picked him up and he gives the testimony. This is the child. In the next verse, it says, And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Now, that amazes me. Now, they've both been there. They've both been visited by angels. They've both been told what the child's name is going to be. Mary's a virgin, and yet ours this baby. The shepherds came and da da da, and yet when this man says, "My eyes have seen the salvation," they marveled at what he said. They're just people. What does that? What does that mean? I mean, the Messiah is a, he's the savior is, is of of the Jews, but I don't know that they quite grasped yet the sheer magnitude of the child. That they had in their arms. They marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. Now listen to this. He said, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Thank you for putting that up there. (laughs) This child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed... And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. That's heavy. So this man has just said, My, I can die. I've seen the salvation of God. He is here. But then he delivers a sobering message to Mary that this child... Some will accept him. Some people won't. He's going to be opposed. And you're going to go through some trials and some tribulations. Your soul will be pierced. Now, it's easy for us in hindsight to look back and understand exactly what was said to her. Because I can't imagine what it would be like to see my child beaten and whipped and hung upon a cross with such cruelty and irreverence. I can't imagine that. And I imagine her soul was pierced. But the good news, it's so that the hearts of many may be revealed. 
And let me tell you something, guys. Your heart and my heart was represented in that statement from Simeon all those years ago. I don't know about you, but my heart's been revealed. Been revealed to me. Been revealed to God. And I pray that I can reveal my heart to others as we glorify God and spread his good news. It wasn't just Simeon. It says, and there was a prophetess, Anna. Now, she had lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. So imagine this. She's a young, young virgin girl. She gets married, and her husband dies seven years later. And now here she is, advanced in years. How old? 84 years old. And she's been living in the temple, court of women. For all those years. And all she would do is she would go to the temple and she would praise and worship God. Since the death of her husband. And it says, as a widow, she was 84, she did not part from the temple worshiping and fasting in prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So she witnessed it. She sees the child, and now she starts spreading to all in the temple. All that are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Here he is. Here's the child. And then it says, And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So, Forty days, they went to the temple. They got more witnesses, more people, confirming to them what they had already experienced. But now outside witnesses, people didn't have any idea that they knew what they knew. And now here's the message. So then we, we turn, um, we, we go from 40 days old to 12. So this next portion is when he was 12 years old, and the parents decide that we're going, or not decide, they do it every year, that it's time for the feast, the Passover, and we're going to Jerusalem. So it says, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover, and when his, he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. So about 20 miles, heading back to Nazareth. Thinking Jesus is with one of the other families, or with somebody else in the group. And they get a day's journey out, and they're setting up camp, and got everything ready to go. Maybe they're going to have something to eat. Hey, where's Jesus? And, um, well... There's no Jesus. He's not here. What do you mean he's not here? We got to track back. So the Bible says that they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to, to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple. Let me ask y'all kids something. If you were supposed to be with your mom and dad... And they journeyed up the road. So 
this was a day's journey. So they drove to Atlanta, Georgia. And then they got to Atlanta. This is a full home alone moment right here, right? <laughs> they get there, and Jesus isn't here. And so what do you do? Parents, you panic. Because they're so, what? Where is he? So let's go back to your look. And they've been looking for three days for him. Would you be in trouble, y'all? Would you be grounded? Mm-hmm. Forget about Christmas gifts that year, right? Forget about it. I'm done. But three days. And they found him in the temple. And here's what it says. Um, After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. He was a sponge, eager to learn. He wanted to know what what they knew. What what do you, um, how do you, you know, I'm, I'm, I understand things beyond what anybody understands them. So I'm going to ask you questions and I'm going to learn what you have to say. And it says, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. Now again, now hold on. Now, he was a virgin. The angel, the angel there. The the shepherds and... Simeon, Anna, and all these And yet when they saw him there, they were still astonished. Kids, y'all think it's hard to, um, to please and amaze your parents? Right? <laughs> Jesus even had a hard time helping his parents understand how great he is. <laughs> you know? So you just keep at it. They'll figure it out one day how great you are. <laughs> Um, but they were, they, they were there and they were astonished. And I, I don't, you know, I say that honestly, jokingly. I think they were astonished. I think they were amazed. I think they were proud. I think they were, were jolted back to reality and the importance of the child that they have. Just how special this child is. So it says that they... Um, they asked him immediately. His mother said to him, what would your mom say to you, y'all? He said, son, why have you treated us so? Why, what, why have you done this to us? Well, I've been looking for you for four days. We were all the way to Atlanta, Georgia, before we even realized that you wasn't with us. We had to travel all the way back here. We've been looking for three days, and we can't find you. Why have you done this to us? Did you, uh, uh, you know, you, you're in search, Father and I have been searching for you in great distress. We're worried to death, scared to death. Now, imagine, right? God has given you the responsibility to raise Jesus, and you lost him. <laughs> they were freaking out, y'all. I lost him. Um, and so Jesus' answer was, why, why were you looking for me? Did, did you not know that I'd be in my father's house? Did you not know? Another, another version said, did you not know I'd be about my father's business? Another sobering statement. It says they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. They still did not quite grasp who he was. 
This helps me understand why we struggle so much understanding quite who he is. I mean, Mary herself didn't quite understand. Joseph didn't quite understand. So stop being so hard on yourself. When you find yourselves in those moments when you just missed it. Just didn't get it. Forgot. And it went, he went down with them. Now kids, this, is, this scripture is for you. I think God wrote, had this written in here specifically for us when we're younger. Okay? This is what Jesus did. Now Jesus, he's God, right? And he he already gets it. Kind of, I'm about my father's business. I, hey, what are you looking for me for? I'm not lost. I come to find you. What are you talking about? <laughs> You're the one that's lost. <laughs> Jesus said, why are you looking for me? But then listen to this, kids. He, it says, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. There's a whole lot right there as a young person. To understand that sometimes you might know things that your parents don't know. I'll tell you one thing that I've learned. The older I get, the more I realize I don't know. That's, I don't know if that's what wisdom is. I think it comes with with gray hair. I don't know. Um, But you spend time and you begin to realize that all of the things that I thought I knew wasn't as important as what my parents were trying to teach me. And so Jesus himself, even though he's, he could teach the class, he's asking the questions. Even though his parents, he said, don't you know I must be about my father's business. Even Jesus at that age, it says, he came on down, he went back to Nazareth with, Nazareth with them, and he what? He was submissive to them. He respected the parents that God had given him on this earth. And it's important as young people that we continue to respect. I don't have to always like. You're never going to always like. You even don't even have to always agree. You might even think you know things that they don't know. And you might know things they don't know. But that does not mean that you should not be submissive to your family, to your parents. And respect them and love them for who they are. Because they have a lot more to teach you than you can imagine. Um, A lot of it from their own mistakes. And they want to keep you out of those same mistakes. So if Jesus, actually God, can be submissive to his parents, I think we should try harder to be submissive to those that's in authority over us. That was free. No charge. Um, so, last thing. One more time. Scripture says, And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He continued to grow stronger, wiser, and in favor with those around him. Four points, something I, I want us to take out of this message this morning. Um, one, reflect on 
how Jesus entered this world. The king of kings entered in the most non-ceremonial and humble way. God came to experience what it's like to be human. And he didn't do it through a palace as royalty. He came as a poor child born in the stable, laid in a manger. His family was poor. He came to live life as a human and the same save sinners. He came as a vulnerable child, but I'm going to tell you, that's not where the story ends. When he comes the next time, he'll be the opposite of a vulnerable child. He's coming back as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He lived a poor man's life. The Bible says that he didn't even have a place to lay his head. But he'll return declaring his true position in God. And that is seated at the right hand of the Father. He was revealed to those who would seek him. The shepherds came up, see if we can find what we heard. The wise men came seeking him. Simeon had waited his whole life, and Anna declaring, This is the redemption of the world. I ask you, are you still seeking him? Is our world still seeking Jesus? I'm going to tell you, it seems like in today's day and age, more and more ready to just push that over as a fairy tale. Say, don't bother me, I just want to live my life. But I'm going to tell you, the next time he comes, he'll be worshipped by all. Because every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That announcement was made to everyday people. Not people of influence or status. And they began telling the world. Isn't that what we should do? As part of this Christmas? Is glorifying God as if this Messiah came. But now telling people about the miraculous opportunity. That God's given us to experience his goodness. Something else I want to point out is God provided reminders to Mary and Joseph along the way. Of exactly who Jesus is. And because they needed it. I think they needed it. And guys, we need those reminders. God will put people in your path and in your way that will give you those reminders. Are you going to listen to them? He will give us Road signs along the way to help us direct our paths. And actually, he gave us a whole word that says, your word will direct my, your, your word is a lamp into my feet and a light in my path. Um, the, 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 um, Jesus stood up um, at the Feast of the Tabernacles at the very end. They would do a water ceremony asking for God's blessings and rain and, and these things. And Jesus stood up at the middle of that and said, I am the living water. Come drink from me and you'll never thirst again. They would light a light representing the way that God provided light in the wilderness. And Jesus stood up and said, I am the light of the world. He understood who he was and he came 
to make a connection with you, do you understand who he is? And finally, when you experience God's faithfulness, God's going to do what God said he was going to do, and he'll do it every time. It might not be the way you want it, the way I want it, or how it circumstances, but God's going to do it. When you experience God's faithfulness, take a lesson from Mary. In this scripture, all the way through Luke, Luke 2, it said that she stored up these things in her heart, and she pondered them. When you experience God's faithfulness in your life, take a step back, store it up as treasure in your heart, Think of it often so when those hard times come, when you question your faith, when you question decisions, when you're questioning where are you, God, you'll be able to look back at the treasure that's in your heart and say, oh, that's right. I remember. God never left me, and he did never forsake me. Store it up. How big is your storehouse this Christmas? And if you're like me, my storehouse got a lot smaller this Christmas. (laughs) All right? I mean, Christmas gifts. (laughs) I'm asking you, how big is your spiritual storehouse? What's God done for you? Are you storing it up? Do you treasure it? This Christmas, take that gift, the gift of his love. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for being faithful to your promises and providing a way for us to have a relationship with you. No turtle doves or pigeons required. You gave yourself. So, God, may we never forget the miracle of your birth, the testimony of your life, and the faithfulness in mine. Lord, help me to make my storehouse bigger and recognize all the ways that you bless me and all the ways that you do for me. God, that I'll remember them. Make me stronger in my faith and to share with others. In your name we pray. Amen.